This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us today. Well, the entire area of brain safety is uh, especially current, given the publicity from several prominent football players. Uh, Recently, I know some of you might remember one of them uh, committed suicide. Others have been claiming dementia. And so from youth sports all the way up to professional teams, Concussions are a very common injury, and they can have long-term, lifelong effects if left untreated. And the New York Times has done a series of articles by sports reporter Alan Schwartz, which has highlighted the problem over the past couple of years and has really gotten the attention of the NFL and other youth sports organizations. Well, today on Ringler Radio, we're going to be exploring the impact of concussions and explain just what coaches and parents need to know to uh, help avoid the long-term effects that concussions can have. And my co-host today to help me is my Ringler colleague from the Beaverton, Oregon office of Ringler, Nolan Robinson. Nolan's been with Ringler for uh, over nine years and has been preparing and presenting structured settlement proposals and providing training for claims personnel and attorneys throughout the great Northwest. And our special guest and our real expert on the uh, area of concussions is attorney David Cracky from the law firm of Nichols and Associates in Portland, Oregon. Dave has been representing individuals with brain injuries for more than 22 years. He's also on the board of directors for the Brain Injury Association of Oregon. Welcome to Ringler Radio, Dave. Thank you very much, Larry. It's a real pleasure to be here. And the first thing I want to ask you is, did I pronounce Oregon right? You got close enough. Okay, good. I, every time I'm out there, people are telling me it's not Oregon, it's Oregon. So I'm trying my best. Well, Dave, how did you get first uh, involved with representing individuals with brain injuries? Well, you know, Larry, it's um, a story that actually started way back in my youth. Uh, my little brother uh, borrowed my skateboard one day, went out for a ride. Uh, this was well before the years of helmets. Uh, lost control, and we don't really know what happened, but he showed up at the house uh, pale as a ghost, went upstairs, laid down on the bed. My mom ran in and said, you know, Ted, what's the matter? He looked at my mom straight in the eyes and said, who are you? Uh, he had suffered a severe skull fracture, a concussion, and that, uh, that event uh, affected me profoundly. It was um, really an emphasis in my mind of the importance, obviously, of the brain uh, towards normal function in life. It's something that has stuck with me for a long time. I became an attorney about 20 years ago, and uh, have been representing, uh, specializing in personal injury uh, plaintiff's work, representing uh, people with brain injuries and a host of other injuries as well. In about 2000, I represented a woman who had been involved in a carjacking case, and uh, she was denied insurance benefits due to some uh, uh, vagaries within the legislation mm-hmm. uh, that prevented her from doing so. Got my uh, juices going. I started working uh, with uh, both houses down in the Oregon legislature, and successfully shepherded a bill that uh, once that established uh, the uh, rights for the victims of carjacking. Mm-hmm. 
that apparently caught the attention of the Brain Injury Association of Oregon. They asked me to help them with uh, various projects. I ultimately became a board member and then became very active with the passage of Max's law uh, once uh, once that became a, a real issue for us. Uh, David, I, uh, I first had the chance to uh, meet you when you were speaking about Max Conrad and and Max's Law. And it, can you tell us some more about that, please? Absolutely. Uh, Nolan, Max's Law, as you know, is one of the landmark, one of the initial, in fact, I think it was the first uh, law in the country that dealt with coaches' responsibilities with regard to their students or their student-athletes who uh, suffer from uh, suffer concussions or head injuries of any kind. Max's story is um, is a, a very sad story. Max was the all-star quarterback uh, down at Waldport High School. It's a, a high school down on the Oregon coast. He uh, was just a stellar student. He was on his way to the Ivy League the following year. Uh, and unfortunately, in one of the football games, he suffered a concussion. Now, that in and of itself probably is, you know, I mean, it's a serious deal, of course. But where the real problem occurred is when the coaches allowed him to play the next week before his brain was fully recovered. Mm. Essentially what happens, and this is kind of the lay person's uh, description of what happens with this type of head injury, and the one that I kind of used to visualize uh, the, second, the, the dangers of second impact syndrome, the brain cells in the recovery period, in my mind, they turn into essentially into icicles. I know that's not anatomically correct. It has nothing to do with temperature, but just for graphics, that's mm -hmm. how I like to think of it. If those icicles, brain cells in the healing process, are allowed to recover, then they melt normally. They essentially go back to normal function. If, however, there is a second concussion, a second head injury, while those cells are in that highly fragile state when they are essentially those icicles hanging from the eaves, I like to think of that, of that second concussion as being the stick that the guy, a little kid holds that he runs across those eaves and all those icicles just snap right off. Mm. That's essentially, in my mind at least, what happens with second impact syndrome. It's a good, good uh, illustration. It helps, thank uh, you. Helps uh, us uh, unfortunately for Max Conrad, it was not understood uh, at the time what was going on with his uh, brain physiology. And the coaches let him back into play, and, and they shouldn't have, unfortunately. Uh, he got the second impact to the head. Those icicle brain cells, if you were, uh, were knocked off the eaves, and they he never regained use of those brain cells. Hmm. At that time, he became severely, severely brain injured. Now, Max, to his credit, has um, enjoyed a pretty remarkable recovery, uh, although today he still is in a long-term care facility. Uh, he is just the most pleasant young man that you'll ever want to meet. Uh, he was, uh, he's a friend of mine now after all of these years and a person I'm proud to call my friend. Hmm. He participated in the hearings down in Salem, which is the state capital of Oregon, uh, during the adoption of Max's law. Uh, some of his antics down there, the, the loss of inhibition in, especially, which is a common, um, occurrence with this type of injury, uh, led him to, to make some very enthusiastic outbursts in committee, which, the, <laughs> believe me, the committee members are never used to seeing. And when he stood up and uh, gave essentially a round, roundly high five to the uh, to the her chair of the committee, it was a moment that I don't think anybody in that room will ever forget. Well, Dave, let, let me go back to uh, those those two football games that uh, yeah. Max was in. 
what was it between the first game and the second game that allowed that that play to take place? Was it was it uh, the lack of proper physicians in, in the school system that were looking at this kid? Or was it uh, just zealous coaches trying to get him back in the game to win? What what was it that prevented this uh, concussion from being properly treated? I think you've nailed it on a couple of points there. I think that there is a tremendous desire among the participants, the players, to get back in there. As I stated, Max was the quarterback. You know, he's a critically important member of that team. He's got the whole team looking at him saying, you know, well, I can't wait for this next game. We're going to we're gonna win this one as well. I think that the coaches tended to, at, in Max's situation, probably had the same type of uh, – of response. Now, I, I do not want to suggest for a second that the coaches understood what was going on to the point of saying recklessly, right. you know, let's play him anyway. It's worth the risk. That I don't believe had any point in or at any point entered the discussion in the coaches' minds. But I think what did probably occur is that the coaches were without understanding of what was going on uh, medically, phys- physiologically in Max's head. Interesting. He shouldn't have been in there. He was not symptom-free, and as a result, he unfortunately suffered the second impact syndrome. Well, it's a, quite, quite a compelling story. You know, Dave, most people are somewhat familiar with concussions occurring in young males uh, who are typically more daring. Uh, you talked about your brother on the skateboard and things like that. Mm-hmm. But isn't it true that concussions are also common in females, which is something I think a lot of us don't don't realize? It's a little, little recognized fact that... Uh, uh, other than um, men's or boys' football, uh, the next highest prevalence of concussion is in girls' soccer. Hmm. Uh, there's a number of theories as to why. First of all, there's not, not the padding that you might otherwise find. Uh, no helmets are worn. Uh, second of all, there's an argument that perhaps uh, the neck physiology, the neck muscle structure in girls is a little bit less able to absorb the uh, head injuries. And then certainly you just have the head-to-head contact or head-to-pole contact around the goal that occurs. The other one that I think we're going to see an increase in, and, and it's unfortunate, but and there's actually some, I've heard of some blowback coming from the organized uh, members of the community, is in girls lacrosse. Hmm. And I've uh, anecdotally, I have a, a colleague in, in the Portland area whose uh, daughter played on a team where a girl was hit in the head twice in the same practice with a uh, lacrosse ball, which if you know any, know about lacrosse, it's a very hard very rubber, hard. I believe, ball. And she suffered two concussions within one practice. Why she was out there after the first one, it's unknown. Uh, she suffered second impact syndrome as a result. Believe it or not, I've heard of some lack of willingness to perhaps adopt some safety measures in girls lacrosse that might mm-hmm. be beneficial. What about what about cheerleading? Is that has that been an area of concussions as well it for females? Sh- it sure has. You know, we've seen with the recognition of cheerleaders uh, cheerleading as a uh, sanctioned sport, I believe, um, you're seeing an influx of money for scholarships and what have you at the college level. That has led to a focus on cheerleading, especially the gymnastics based cheerleading in high school sports. Unfortunately, oftentimes the girls aren't prepared when they do the high throws to essentially make the catches properly, and we are seeing a significant increase in concussions among cheerleaders. Well, before Nolan talks about concussions generally, uh, I just want to say that I'm a big uh, booster to the University of Connecticut, and uh, Connecticut has really eliminated their gymnastic cheerleading squad and and have what they call a spirit squad now, which is a lot less uh, 
oriented to uh, pyramids and, and flips and, and all those things. And I think it's recognition, perhaps, of these, uh, these injury and perhaps some insurance issues as well. Yeah, and I, I you know, from a legal standpoint, you know that the insurance issues are certainly going to be a driver. Right. There's no question about that. You know, David, I'm going to ask you uh, to kind of talk about concussions a little bit. You did a little bit briefly, but what exactly is a concussion? And you know, and uh, maybe it seems like a silly question, but I think it's legitimate. Also, is you know, do you think we take them seriously enough? I mean, it's certainly more so than it used to be. But but do you? I assume there's still some ground to be made up there as well. Well, you know. It really is a societal question. It's uh, it's a uh, question that that tends to open doors that you may not even expect to be opened. Uh, a medical definition, and again, I'm not a doctor, but you know, this is still just this is very generic of a concussion. The de- definition of a concussion is it's a trauma-induced change in me- change in mental status with confusion, with possibly with amnesia, and either with or without a brief loss of consciousness. Uh, some of the signs or symptoms that you'll see typically, and when I say that you will see typically, uh, that's a misnomer because we tend to call a concussion the invisible injury. Any type of traumatic brain injury tends to be one that you can't really see if you're looking at someone. It's, yeah, well, let's uh, talk. Let's internal. talk about that, Dave. The, the, the symptoms and the signs, because I notice a lot. Uh, and let's use football as an example. Uh, this so-called they got their bell rung is what they used to say in the old days, but. Uh, you know, what are those symptoms? Is it wooziness? Is it, uh, you know, your eyes can't focus? T- tell, tell the audience what they should be looking for if, uh, if even if their child comes home after hitting their head. We call it a constellation of symptoms, which suggests that there are many. Uh, common ones you will see include headache, disorientation, perhaps as to time, date, place, confusion, dizziness. There may be a vacant stare, a confused expression, uh, the person may be incoherent, incomprehensible with regard to their speech. Uh, there's going to be maybe an incoordination or a weakness uh, recognized. As with my brother, you might see amnesia. Uh, certainly there's the nausea or the vomiting that might occur. In fact, we oftentimes will see the person get hit with, you know, in a football game, rush to the sideline, and then you see him doubled over. Mm-hmm. There may be double vision. Uh, there may be tinnitus or ringing in the ears. Uh, those are some of the common uh, symptoms that you will see in the, initially. Now, uh, some concussions, I assume, are more severe than others. Uh, and so can you talk about that, you know, mild or severe concussions and second impact syndrome? Could you kind of spread Absolutely. some light on that? It, the, medical, the medical literature breaks, uh, uh, de- describes concussions in terms of grades. You have a grade one concussion, which is no loss of consciousness. Uh, there's transient confusion. Um, and then the other symptoms that I just kind of laundry listed for mm-hmm, you sure. tend to resolve within about 15 minutes or so on the, in the short term. Doesn't mean there's not going to be long-term concerns. In fact, obviously there are. Then if you get into a grade two concussion, again, you have no loss of consciousness. You have transient confusion and other than the other symptoms that require more than 15 minutes to resolve. When you have a grade three concussion, which is the most serious, you have a loss of consciousness for any period of time. Uh, you have all of the symptoms, as we talked about, uh, that can persist for days or weeks, including, again, the headache, poor attention, poor concentration, cognitive difficulties, men- uh, memory difficulties. You see anxiety. You see depression, sleep disturbance, uh, intolerance to noise, intolerance to light, things along those lines. When 
you when your brain is recovering from a concussion, that is when it really is struggling to do all it do its best to get those brain cells to get that brain function back to normal. Uh, oftentimes, if the damage is severe enough, I like to again bringing out it just kind of an analogy. The brain is trying to go from A to B. Instead, it has to rewire itself and go from A to C to D to E to F to B. So the brain is struggling to get back to normal. In doing so, it is, as I said earlier, in my layman's terms, it is uh, essentially creating a protective calcified layer around those cells as they uh, struggle to recover, making them brittle, essentially, and that is where the risk of second impact occurs, second impact syndrome, where that next blow to the head will result in those brain cells essentially uh, becoming functional. This is the icicle uh, metaphor you use. The icicle metaphor. Well, what happens if uh, a concussion occurs and just goes untreated and it's it's not dealt with, it just, just be, the kid just is going forward and, and living and, and, and not treating it? What happens? Well, you know, there are many, many, in fact, probably the majority of concussions that uh, the person suffers a concussion, their brain goes through the healing process, and the symptoms resolve. And so oftentimes, that is what, that is what happens when a concussion goes, quote-unquote, untreated, is that the brain essentially is able to treat itself. So while there may not be any outside medical treatment that's received, nonetheless, the brain is going through its physiologic changes to make sure that the brain re- uh, becomes as uh, healthy as it can under the circumstances. However, there can be more serious situations where you can be dealing with subdural bleeds, bleeding on the brain, bruising on the brain. I had a client at one point, it was not a sports-related injury, but she uh, was knocked uh, to the ground, hit her head on the ground. It was a closed head injury, no blood or anything along those lines. They didn't understand, they didn't recognize what was going on uh, within her, uh, beneath her skull, essentially. And she was sitting in the emergency room just waiting to be seen under a normal triage scenario when she did what's called crumping. She literally collapsed to the floor. The pressure on her brain from that bleed was so great that it basically knocked her out. She was on her way, much like uh, the tragic case with Natasha Richardson at the uh, ski area. Uh, that was so, I was so just thinking of that while you were ago. speaking. It's funny. I was exactly thinking of that case. Yep. Amazing. And so when you have that type of a severe head injury that goes untreated, the results obviously can be dire. So, uh, David, I, Larry's confessed to his UConn uh, love, and, and <laughs> I'm a big sports fan as well. I watch, watch a lot of football and see kind of the, what's happening in the NFL, the trying to outlaw hits to the head and all that kind of stuff. But but, you know, I don't really think I've ever heard what kind of protocols they and other sports leagues have uh, dealing with, you know, what happens after someone takes a, a hit to the head. Well, what we're seeing now in the NFL especially, quite frankly, I like to think that it has something to do with what the states are doing, both in terms of the uh, recognition of the importance of educating uh, the coaches, because they're the ones that are in the front line with our with our kids. I have a, a couple of kids in uh, middle school, one kid in middle school, one in uh, uh, high school. And so I know that essentially that's where the, that's what the goal is. The goal is to make sure that these kids coming up, a fraction of percentage of whom are going to ultimately play NFL or professional sports, the majority of them, we want to make sure that they are safe in their experiences in uh, in in uh, uh, amateur or af- or uh, a- academic or school sports. So what I think we're seeing in the NFL 
especially among the uh, the leadership, the executive branches uh, in the NFL, is that they understand that the kids are looking up to the players. And what we're seeing essentially is that the NFL, the administration at least, is taking concussion awareness extremely, extremely seriously. Back in uh, about game six of last year in the NFL, uh, there was just that rash of horrible hits that resulted in some just some brutal head-to-head, helmet-to-helmet contact. There were fines levied, $75,000 fines, uh, promises or threats of suspension, uh, things along those lines. Interestingly, what we saw were certain players lashing out against it. Uh, we have a guy named Keith Brooking, who was a cowboy linebacker, or is, saying essentially people love the violence. I think, it's a gladiator response. I think James That's Harrison what, from the Steelers was talking in that same vein, uh, you know, taking, taking the game uh, and making it something different than it is. His, his words, I used his words in a column that I write for the Brain Injury Association of Oregon, and it was words to the effect of, you know, essentially, we're becoming a namby-pamby league. You know, it's powder puff football at that point. Well, you know, you know one thing about that, uh, Dave, it's, and it's very current because I think a lot of these teams are now trying to deal with it. I, I think we all see that when a player comes off the field now, there's a much less less of a likelihood that they're getting put back in that game. Uh, but in the past, the doctors, the physicians on the sideline, I mean, they're employed by the team. And yeah. didn't you think there may have been some subtle pressure or not so subtle pressure on the physician that works for the team to kind of okay the guy to get back in the in the in the tilt? That's exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, there. I, I think you're exactly right. They're they're talking huge dollars. They're talking huge prestige. And if that star player, especially, is sitting on the sidelines, he's not doing anybody any good with regard to the quote team effort. So do we so do we need independent physicians on the sidelines that are not attached to the teams that that are going to be able to make these kinds of professional calls on whether these uh, folks have have indeed sustained concussions? Well, I certainly would hope not. I think that the trainers, the uh, doctors who are employed by the teams, I think that their responsibility should always be to the patient. And it would seem to me that as awareness increases, I believe that those doctors are going to be uh, increasingly. Uh, apt to find in favor of the player rather than the team because the microscope is on them. I mean, the spotlight essentially is right on them. And God forbid a player should go back in, suffer second impact syndrome or something, you know, more more serious injury. Everybody's going to be asking questions of that doctor, of that trainer. Why did you let him go back in? No, no question about that. Well, yep. let's take a quick break right now and come back in a minute with Dave Cracky and the whole subject of uh, concussions and Dave, I think when we come back, let's talk a little bit about what litigation's been coming out of uh, some of these cases and uh, that you can help us uh, understand better. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. 
Experience counts. Over 23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. We invite you to listen to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network. Produced by broadcast professionals. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. With over 60 offices nationwide, there's a Ringler consultant near you. Go to our website at RinglerAssociates.com and find the local consultant in your area. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and my co-host today, Nolan Robinson, our Ringler associate from the great state of Oregon, and uh, our special guest, attorney David Cracky from Portland. Well, uh, Dave, let's talk a little bit about Two things, your, your efforts to bring this whole cause to the legislature, and also what kind of litigation have you been involved in surrounding the concussion arena? Um, I can imagine it's growing. Uh, it is, uh, Larry. There's a growing awareness, first of all, of concussion in, concussion in general, and from a legal perspective then, especially from the plaintiff's side, uh, there's a growing analysis as to why that concussion or why that second impact syndrome occurred. And that certainly is leading to an, an increase in litigation. You know, in some ways, there's a it's a mixed blessing because you know we did this to protect the kids, uh, the athletes, the student athletes, and a cynic can look at it and say, well, geez, all this really was was an invitation to litigate. Uh, so that is a that is certainly an aspect that needs to be addressed or needs to be recognized. But I look at it more as an enforcement mechanism until Max's law in. Uh, is taken seriously until these coaches realize that they have an obligation to their student athletes to recognize, understand symptoms and signs of concussion, and then to act appropriately. I don't think the work is done. It's one thing to pass a law. It's another thing, you know, one thing to have it on the books. It's another thing to make sure that the law is being followed. Uh, as a result, I, you know, look forward to, uh, whatever legal, uh, cases are out there. I am currently not involved in any Max's law cases. I do have some uh, concussion athletic student athlete related uh, concussion cases on my uh, in my files, uh, resulting one out of a uh, uh, a field event and another uh, they're actually a football injury a football death actually from a uh, uh, college out in Eastern Oregon, but uh, they are not Max law, Max's law cases. Uh, secondly, with regard to our efforts to bring the the Cause the the legislation to fruition in Oregon. Uh, it was a it was definitely a, a long process, but one that was tr- greeted with genuine bipartisan support. 
I think the legislature really got it, that this was really about protecting our kids through education of the coaches. Consider the coaches and the parents to be the front line for this type of a um, defense, if you will, to continue with the sports metaphor, uh, protecting our kids. And it's one that the legislature understood inherently. And as a result, yeah, we had to work through some concerns. In fact, we had a helmet provision where the helmets would be, in football, would be uh, labeled, would be followed in terms of how many seasons they had been used and then the mandatory phasing out of the older helmets. That portion of the bill was uh, left on the cutting room floor, as it were, for political reasons, but we were happy to move forward with the educational component of Max's law. Since uh, since Max's law uh, came into being, have, has there been much progress in the state as far as um, both in terms of you know awareness and preventing injuries, but also uh, in actual numbers that, that show uh, progress has been made? Well, there has been, and it's really been a tribute not only to the legal community in Oregon, but also to the medical community. There is an organization called the Oregon Concussion Awareness and Management Program, OCAMP, that has put together a concussion management implementation guide uh, to Max's law. I want to uh, highlight a couple of uh, individuals who are on, who are on the, the members of that uh, program, including Dr. James Chestnut over at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University, and Dr. Michael Kester, who is the uh, an MD, who is the uh, head of the OSAA, the Oregon Student uh, Activities Association. Terrific. They have created a booklet that essentially spells out what the students or what, excuse me, what the coaches' requirements are under Max's law. It's an absolutely wonderful uh, resource, and it is helping to educate coaches as we go forward. Uh, I don't have statistical numbers in terms of concussion incidents, but I do know that uh, uh, there's been nothing recently reported with regard to second impact syndrome uh, in terms of uh, abuses or people failing to follow Max's law. So I think that we have seen tremendous success, and I know that there are just some real top quality people on the medical side working hard to make sure that the coaches receive that education. Well, there's no question we all need more training uh, in this area of the severity of concussions. I think we're all learning. A lot of us are coming out of the dark on this issue uh, as, as this thing develops. And what do you think schools and, and townships uh, should be doing on a statewide or national basis uh, to kind of get around their hands around this issue? Uh, it, it's more than just uh, talking to sports teams. It's kind of educating the populace. How, how does that happen, and is that what your organization helps do? That is certainly what we help to do uh, with, with regard to the Brain Injury Association of Oregon and similarly the other brain injury associations in, in the other states where your listeners uh, are living. We provide resources out there, educational and day-to-day, day-to-day for, the, for people who are either caregivers or survivors of head injuries themselves. Uh, we certainly provide uh, resources to the public, including uh, the school districts, on concussion symptom recognition training. Uh, it's, it's incremental. There's no question that this is a very uh, long hill to climb. But again, you've got to start somewhere. And doing radio shows such as this, writing my column for the uh, Brain Injury Association, certainly what's going on with the NFL and the uh, NFL uh, executive offices in terms of their recognition, this is all having uh, an impact on 
the public's awareness. I've seen a number of Sports Illustrated articles, including cover stories in the past year. Uh, we're seeing it in newspapers, uh, television shows. Uh, there, there just seems to be a heightened awareness. And quite frankly, if we're a, even a little part of that, I, I love to think that that's just a positive outcome. That, that is terrific. But l- let me just close here by asking you just one final thought, uh, one final question. I'm sure you, you know, the, the helmet manufacturers in the football arena are, are, are heavily involved in research and trying to develop better helmets to, to try to deal with this. Uh, is it your feeling that, that football can be made safe and, you know, to the extent of uh, trying to prevent and, and minimize the, the, the brain injury scenarios that we've been talking about? Is it something that can happen through technology and, and different equipment, uh, perhaps even rules changes, or or do you look down and, and see uh, really no hope for a sport that's as violent as it is? How, what's your perspective on that? No, I, I, I love football. I, I, uh, I play, you know, the flag football, touch football, uh, always have. I really, I really love the sport. I think that the technological changes, improvements in the, uh, in the helmet uh, technology, I think that that is absolutely critical. And I think that it is certainly moving forward. Uh, I think that you know, I think that the emphasis on preventing the head-to-head blows mm-hmm. uh, that we do see that are, quite frankly, uh, unnecessary, uh, oftentimes the player's on his way down anyway, uh, I think that, that a rule change with regard to that is, is absolutely appropriate. But I don't see a need to modify the game beyond, you know, essentially beyond that. I am not the kind of person who's going to say, yes, let's ban the sport, you know, let's only play tiddly winks and horseshoes. That's just not, not my style. Um, at the same time, our education, in, the increase of education with regard to second impact syndrome is absolutely critical because if someone suffers a concussion, you know, you don't know a concussion's coming, but then once it does, you have to, or the sports teams have to respond appropriately with regard to that particular player. Keep them out until those concussion symptoms are no longer present for a period of time. Make sure that those brain cells have had a chance to heal before they go back in for uh, a second, uh, another game. Now, there's a flip side to that, and that is that there are recent studies coming out. Boston University did one recently where they have literally dissected the brains of 14 players who died uh, from dementia-like uh, symptoms, mm. and in 13 of those players, they found evidence of chronic traumatic brain injury. Uh, in other words, just long-term chronic brain damage uh, resulting from violent hits over the years. So that is certainly something that needs to be uh, concerned, considered and we should be concerned about, but I'm not a proponent of banning the game of football. Well, I think that's uh, – I like that perspective. I think we're all uh, looking for ways to make things safer, but uh, you know, at the same time not – do away with, let's say, the whole lifestyle of uh, what we yep. call uh, America today. I agree. Well, that's been a terrific uh, show. Nolan, it's been tr- great having you here as well. Uh, Dave, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Well, the best way would be uh, by phone, believe it or not. I'm still kind of an old-fashioned guy with regard to the personal contact. And my phone number in Portland, Oregon, is area code 503 uh, we uh, have a website at craignicholslaw.com, and that's Craig, C-R-A-I-G, Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, law, L-A-W, dot com. Kind of rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, it's kind of a bookmark website right now, unfortunately. Um, 
but uh, and then there's my email, which is david at craignicholslaw.com. Very responsive to the phone and to the email responses. I'd be love to talk to any of your listeners who uh, might need uh, answers to various questions along these lines. Terrific. And Nolan, how would someone get a hold of you? Well, for the for the truly old school, I can be reached by smoke signal. But uh, <laughs> uh, for for more current people, the the phone is great five zero three six zero one eighty one hundred, and my email n robinson at ringlerassociates dot com. Well, and if any of you are first-time listeners, be sure you know this, that you can download any of the Ringler radio shows from ringlerassociates.com, our newly revised website, which, by the way, you should go visit because it really looks cool. And you can download these shows from legaltalknetwork.com. You can actually download them to your iPod or iPad and wander around the park with little earphones in and uh, and listen to uh, David and Nolan talk about what I consider a fascinating and informative show, uh, which also has been, more than anything else, very instructive for all of us. So, David, again, thank you for your expertise, and uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Nolan. I appreciate it very much. And the rest of you out there, go out and have a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Tuck Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its sixth year on Legal Talk Network, with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, where experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Prudential.